when you realize your own part, then you also, along with that, comes the ability to change. And how lucky was I to realize, oh, I did this. I made this prison. I made the bars. I made the key. Mm -hmm. All I have to do is use the key. I have it because I made it. And how liberating has that been for me over the last seven years or so that I've been doing this work for myself to forge a conscious way forward. Welcome to A Conscious Way Forward, a podcast about healing, reimagining leadership, and reinventing education. If you're a seeker, changemaker, or dreamer, you're in the right place. I'm your host, David K. Richards, and I'm on a mission to help individuals rise in consciousness and usher in a new paradigm of a more equitable and just global society. As an educator, founder and CEO, dadpreneur, coach, and ambassador for change, I share my conscious journey through real, raw, and relatable stories while engaging in conversations with a diverse group of guests. I discuss timeless wisdom teachings and how they've helped me navigate life, leadership, parenting, and heal my traumatic childhood wounds. If you're ready to come home to your soul's purpose, co-create a more equitable world, dream, act, and heal forward together, then please continue to listen. Hello, everyone. I'm so excited. Today, I talk with my friend Rachel Duffy, who's a divorce attorney turned conscious parent coach. And she joins me for a conversation about so many inspiring topics, like her experience with a life-threatening disease that served as the ultimate wake-up call to our own potential, the prisons we create that fuel our own suffering, the power of subconscious communication, screen time during the pandemic, generational and paradigm shifts that are moving us towards greater awareness as parents, and so much more. So excited for this episode. Rachel brings her passion for working with families and her own life experience to her work. And I guarantee you'll walk away feeling refreshed and inspired to take a closer look at the areas of your life beneath the surface, pointing you towards opportunities for transformation. All right, if you like this episode, please rate and review it wherever you listen to your podcast, and let's get started. Hello, everyone. I'm so excited to be here with Rachel Duffy. Hi, Rachel. How are you? I'm so honored and happy to be here with you, David. Thank you. You're very welcome. And I was a guest on your podcast, Unscrew You. I love the name, right? That's called Unscrew You. <laughs> the parenting podcast. It's not about parenting. Is that what it is? No, tell me. Yes. Yeah, I call it a non-parenting parenting podcast. Yes. So Rachel and I met through Dr. Shafali. And as many of us, we've never actually met in person, but we've had many really cool conversations. I even did an Instagram live with Rachel on the beach when I was on vacation. We're like, let's just jump on and do it on the beach. So that was really exciting. But I'd love to, um, Rachel, for people that don't know you, if you could just share a little bit about yourself for, for our listeners. Absolutely. Thank you. So I am a conscious parenting coach, but I didn't start there. I started as a family divorce attorney and a litigator. And I did that because I've, I've always been drawn to the family dynamic. I've always loved exploring the family dynamic. And I kind of thought originally of helping people from the point where the family unit breaks down. 
And after years spending as a litigator, I realized that I could be more effective in supporting families and supporting children if I took it a step back and supported them from regardless of where they are in in the family journey, whether they're divorced or in the process of divorcing or they're married and have no intention of divorcing. I feel like where I'm at right now, I can be more supportive of families as they navigate whatever journey they're going to navigate. And I had to go through that journey myself. Mm -hmm. I, I am myself divorced without children and then I remarried and now I have three children. And I've had to go through a, a long and twisty, windy journey of my own. And that inspired me to help other people go through their own journeys. So that's kind of in a very nutshell how I got to where I am right now from being a divorce attorney. Yes. No, that's so fascinating. I remember when I first met you and I was so intrigued by that because in some ways it's similar to when you and I talked and you asked me and I said, well, the through line for me is I've been a teacher. It's like whatever role I was in in the world, I was always in some sort of teaching role. So when I think about you as a divorce attorney and now a parent coach, I'm like, oh, okay. You know, that's kind of like not really the same, but similar. So is the, is that similar in some ways? Am I even right about that? <laughs> You know, it's a fascinating point because when I was a kid, there are pictures of me. You and I grew up in the era where there were just regular cameras. Right. Right. But I have an album full of pictures of myself pretending to be a teacher. Mm. I would put my mom's lipstick on and I'd wear her, you know, her shoes that were like 10 sizes too big for me. <laughs> yeah. And I had this chalkboard. And I would line all my stuffies up and I would teach them whatever it is that I learned in school that day. So ever since I was super young, I've had this desire to teach, to share, to help, to support, to elevate. And as I became conditioned, as we all do, I kind of veered away from teaching. And I went into law because it was the more predictable, um, that the income was, you know, would have set me up to be more financially independent. It was kind of following the expectations of yeah. my family. And even as I became a lawyer, while I was doing my master's degree, I was teaching law. It's like I mm. always had to go back to teaching in some right. way form. And I was an assistant professor in my own law school. And had I not, um, Ultimately, had I not quit litigation, I think that's probably where I would have mm, ended up right. as a right. law professor. But as it as it was, I, I decided to go a different route. But this archetype of teacher has mm -hmm. always been inside of me because it is truly, I would say, if I had to choose one passion, which would be hard because I have a lot, but <laughs> yeah, that is at the core of who I am. Mm. I am a teacher. I am a seeker of knowledge and wisdom and insight at, infused with spirituality, as you know, because that, that speaks very mm -hmm. deeply to me. And yeah. that's, that is who I am really. So yes, yeah. you would be correct. <laughs> well, and you know, I don't know if I've ever told you my law school story, but I studied history with the intention of being a teacher. And then I was like, oh my gosh, like, I can't, 
I grew up poor and now I'm going to go make like $50,000. My debt's going to be more than my salary. And so I like, similarly, I was like, well, I should do something more practical. And my wife was in grad school in DC and I was like fully prepared to go to law school. And I had all my letters of rec and I'd done all my research and I took an LSAT prep course and like everything was ready to go. This amazing essay written. <laughs> and then I scored in the 17th percentile on the day of like the, the weekend before I was like, you know, 85th or it wasn't like great, but it was like, oh, this will be fine, you know. But then the day of it was 17th percentile. And it was really like the universe saying to me, dude, you're not going to law school. I don't know how we're gonna how else we're gonna make you realize this is not meant to be for you. So then it was around that time that I was in DC and I was like, what am I gonna do now? And um, I ran into some teachers <clears throat> when I was waiting tables and they were like going on and on about how much they love teaching. And I'm like, okay. I'm doing it. I'm going for it. So it's, so I never actually applied. I literally had everything ready to go, but I just decided I don't want to keep taking the LSAT. <clears throat> it was really, really hard. You know, just, I was like, I don't think this is meant to be. That's amazing actually. Cause, um, similar to you, I also grew up poor. My parents were immigrants to the United States. So we had a typical immigrant story and yeah. all the money stories that go oh, yeah. Being a poor immigrant, and just to put it in perspective, we're talking about the early 70s, right? So this is a time where obviously there was no internet, so everything right. was harder. You know, there you couldn't call home. International calls were right, right. expensive, and you know, mm -hmm. so th this is an era where a lot of money stories were so deeply ingrained within them, and on top of it, because my parents are born, both of them to Holocaust survivors, there is also this undercurrent uh -huh. of the need to survive. Yeah. And I know immigrants have that as well. So right. both of those combined, it's almost like I could not have at the time with the tools that I have, I could not have right. broken that condition. Yeah. yeah, that would have been like massively. Yeah, I could see that so clearly. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And you know, one of the questions I was going to ask you, and I think it's related is what, like, why are you so passionate about conscious parenting? Like, how did you, because you gave the kind of a bridge version, but I know you have a really interesting story of like the first marriage and other things that happened to get to you to this point where you decided that you were going to become a conscious parent coach. I'd love to hear that story. Yeah. Thank you for that question. You know, I think for me, when I had, I've had several moments of awakening in my life mm -hmm. and those moments have been absolute rock bottom and as they are i think for many of us yeah and those rock bottom moments difficult as they are are also a, an opportunity to go to pivot in a completely different direction and to up level yourself as a human being and I'm grateful that I was able to take those opportunities. I, mm -hmm. I took them many times until I hit rock bottom. Right. So you mentioned my first marriage. That marriage disintegrated on the heels of a year long that I spent at UCSF, um, University of California, San Francisco Hospital. Mm. Hospitalized for back-to-back -back surgeries uh, to try and fix, um, I have Crohn's disease and I've been diagnosed with Crohn's disease since I was 20, I think. Mm -hmm. 
And I had, it, it had spiraled so, um, so deeply and it was so um, debilitating that I had to have surgeries and those surgeries got very complicated and one complication led to another months long of induced coma. And I ended up spending 10 months hospitalized at UCSF. And if that's not a rock bottom, I don't know what mm. it. Yeah. It was, uh, it was to the point where my parents were called over to kind of say their goodbyes. Mm. And I emerged, when I emerged out of that by, I mean, really, I, I don't know what miracle. Obviously I didn't, my work here wasn't done. That's what, that's the miracle. Right. Yeah. When I emerged from that, I had to reflect and ask myself, what am I doing and why am I doing it? And am I where I want to be? Because clearly life is short. We all know mm -hmm. that cliche, but when you're faced with it, you have to reckon with it. Yeah. And I became, I, I had made the commitment to myself that I was no long, longer going to tolerate living in any kind of compromise in any kind of emotional compromise because all those stories that i had been told that you need to compromise and mm -hmm. right from life and money doesn't grow on trees and you know all the things we've been taught yeah there was a moment of clarity for me i think really when i was facing when i was looking death in the eyes mm -hmm. there was a moment where i realized those are lies those are lies. I don't know whose lies they are, but they're not mine. Mm -hmm. And I had committed to becoming more aware of the lies, of the stories, of the conditionings, and of the patterns. And that's when I started my journey. At, when I became a parent, you know, I'm fast forwarding a few years, I remarried, I became a parent. That, that journey uh, brought me to my knees again, as mm -hmm. a parents, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And that's when I intersected with Dr. Shafali's work. And through that, I was able not just to become a conscious parent, to become a conscious human being and really break free from all those conditionings and patterns and lies and beliefs that were holding me back, that were not my fault. We're all raised like this and mm -hmm. we're all yeah operate in our society the way we do and that's fine but for me it was that moment of becoming or those moments of becoming more aware of myself my own contribution to my emotional pain and to all the things I wasn't happy with mm -hmm. that to me was exceptionally empowering because when you realize your own part then you also along with that comes the ability to change and how lucky was I to realize, oh, I did this. I put mm -hmm. this on myself. I made, I made this prison that I'm in. <laughs> I made the bars. I made the key. Mm -hmm. All I have to do is use the key. I have it because I made it. And how liberating has that been for me over the last seven years or so that I've been doing this work for myself. Yeah. To forge a conscious way forward. Yes. Yes. 
we were joking before that you had great questions. Sometimes I ask people to give me a few questions and you would ask the question about like conscious way forward. But before we go there, I really wanted to, I'm so curious about when you were in the hospital and like you said, facing death and did you have a spiritual practice before that? Or was this kind of like the thing that opened you up to more of the, like, was this the awakening moment or was this kind of like the consolidation for lack of a better way of asking, you know what I'm saying? I would say it was the awakening moment because I was brought up very practical, very logical, Mm -hmm. very analytical, very science-based. And I'm still all those things. I have a deep passion for math and science. Yeah. But there was a moment where it was almost like there was a moment where I was being wheeled into an emergency operation. I was already um, given some, you know, kind of, I I was hooked up to a million things. Like I couldn't even talk because I had tubes going Mm. down everywhere. Yeah. And my ex-husband at the time called my parents and put the phone next to my ear so I could just hear them, but I couldn't communicate. Mm. And I heard my mother's voice. And just before I went on the phone with her, I had kind of, I kind of felt I was piecing out, you know, like Mm -hmm. I, Mm -hmm. there was a sense in me that I knew, okay, this is it. We're done now. And I was at peace with it. Honestly, Mm -hmm. I was like, it's okay. You know, I'm ready to peace out. I don't feel any pain in this moment. It's all good. I'm going to go into the operating room. I'm not going to come out and I'm good with that. And then I heard my mom's voice on the phone. And what she said to me was, you're going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And I could tell she was lying. I could tell in her. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She was lying. And that made me wake up all i don't know what it was about that moment Mm. but i could feel my blood pressure going through the roof yeah and they told my husband okay take the phone away we gotta take her right now right that was the last thing i remember then i woke up two months later and Mm. i was tied to that hospital bed because i had been trying to unconsciously i'd been trying to take my tubes out right and the first thing my my ex-husband says to me was what the hell did your mom say to you Mm -hmm. and i realized i remembered and then i realized that was my moment of awakening it was i understood it's now or never this is the moment i get to decide am i living or am i dying Mm -hmm. yeah And that choice, that conscious choice of no, 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 my work is not done. I think that was a spiritual awakening for me. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because you were saying your mom said you were going to be okay. I was like, oh, your mom was like deeply spiritual and intuitive. Because now I hang around all these people that are like, no, no, you're going to be fine. Or like one of my friends is, you know, in the hospital and they're like, oh, I'm getting really clear intuitive guidance. And like, they're going to be fine. Like, it's going to be painful, but they're going to, they'll be, they'll, you know, they're not going to die. And so when you said that, I was like, whoa, your mom's so spiritual. And then you're like, no, 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 she was lying. And I'm like, oh, okay. That is, that is what we're conditioned to do, right? Is to try and appease our children and basically tell them what we think they want to hear, which is lying. 
Of course, right? you can understand that as a parent, you want to oh, for sure. reassure your child, right? Absolutely. But there was something in her voice. And again, this speaks to how intuitive we are as children, yeah. even though I was an adult. But yeah. something in her voice that I was like, no, 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 no. She's lying. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you're, you're, the other part of the story, which you hear in a lot of people that have the awakening story from, like you said, they hit rock bottom is there's really a moment of surrender and you reach a point where it's like, you know, you're either so depressed or you're so addicted to something or you're so whatever fill in the blank that you're just kind of like, I'm going to surrender. And then all the things we've learned about, you know, the brain and the intellectual and this thinking and logic and all that, you're kind of like, mm, yeah, that's really not going to help me as I go into this operating room. Like I'm going to be able to think my way out of this one. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good word to use um, that I hadn't thought about, but you're right. I surrendered. I was like, you know, what happens, happens, que sera, sera. If I die, I die. I'm okay with it until yeah. I heard my mom. And I think that is what actually fueled me to fight my way back. Right. Well, that's an amazing story. And it's such a beautiful story because you became a conscious parent coach. And I feel like there's so much juice in that around like, I want to help other mothers now with the parenting journey. And so, you know, like what, how do you really um, bring all that you've learned into your coaching with, with other parents? And do you, do you, I assume you worked with moms, but I don't know if that, maybe you work with dads too, but you can clarify that. I do. I actually, I, I work with both moms and oh, dads, and sometimes moms and dads together. Like Yes. Okay, cool. I love, I personally love working with men because I have a lot of masculine energy and you know, that, that kind of vibes well for yeah. a lot of, of dads, but yes, I work with, I would say that more than half of my clientele are women. And I think for me, where I would like to see society go mm -hmm. is for just for us to become more conscious, meaning or aware of the ways in which we've been conditioned, the lies that we've been told, yeah. not because our yeah. parents are jerks or trying no. to manipulate us, but yeah. because this is how we are all raised. So it's just that awareness of what is real and what is perception. And then everybody can make their own choices about what they want to do with it. I, I don't believe in one way of parenting. I think every family unit makes their own choices. And as long as nobody is being hurt, I'm all for whatever choice you wanna make in your family. But what I would like to see is for people to make choices that are empowered, that are from an informed place, from an aware place, from a place of wholeness and integration of each parent within themselves. And then honestly, whatever choices you make in your family are gonna be fine. Yeah, yeah. And you know, you had asked me when, when I was on your podcast, you had asked me how I used intuitive leadership with parenting. And I was kind of like, oh, wait a minute. Like I really thought about it that way. But as I'm hearing you speak about conscious parenting and hearing your story, it's like you're focusing on, on parenting. But really you're talking about, because you said you wanted to, you woke up and wanted to be a better human being or something to that effect. It wasn't just like, oh, I'm going to be a really great parent now. Like, no, that's like, 
it's holistic, right? And the, the mind wants to make it separate, like, oh, I'm a parent right now, and then I'm going to go to work, and then I'm going to go to the grocery store. <laughs> My kids are only going to, you know, want me to be a parent for three hours a day, and that, you know. <laughs> but really, you're 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 a conscious human being, and but I would like to ask you the question that you asked me, which is, you know, how does intuitive leadership come into your parenting and how do you work with your clients around that? Yeah. And I love that. And I love that you brought up the fact that we have this preconceived notion that right now I'm going to put on my parent hat for three hours and be with my kids. Then I'm going to put on my homemaker's hat and go cook dinner. And then I'm going to go into the office and put on my entrepreneur hat. It, and it doesn't work that way. It actually creates so much anxiety within us, right? Because then yep, we're exactly. into all these different roles. And the way yes. I view it is, no, no, we're not split. We need to take a more holistic, synergistic view of ourselves as human beings and be more integrated as opposed to more divided within ourselves. So when you look yes. at that, from the perspective of parenting and leadership and how do those two, what do those two have to do with each other really? My answer is everything. Because whether you realize it or not, whether you want it or not, you signed up to be a leader of your family. That to me is the, the identity of a true conscious parent, is someone who is a leader in the family, not someone who is the boss of, kids, not someone who's the micromanager of the kids, the controller of the kids, rather someone who is a guide. That's how I view leadership too, within, mm-hmm. even in the context of, uh, of a corporate leader. Yeah. Someone whose job it is, whose responsibility it is to support the growth of the team. And in this case, the children. <laughs> yeah. And from the point of view of of intuitive leadership, as you and I discussed, first, that intuition has to be pointed inwards. Mm -hmm. So first, you have to intuitively be your own leader. And what that means is integrate all the different parts of yourself, become more whole within yourself, Mm -hmm. accept and understand yourself break free of your own patterns, conditionings, beliefs. And then once you've embodied all of that, now by definition, you are an intuitive leader of your family. Because, yeah. and and I think you and I spoke about this too, in the past where, you know, we're obviously you and I are communicating right now, but yeah. subconsciously, there's a lot more communication happening right now subconsciously than consciously. Mm-hmm. Your nervous system and my nervous system are talking to one another. And I think people oftentimes forget that. But we all we're all intuitive beings. Every human being, we're intuitive by nature, we're sensitive, we respond to other people's energies, right? You, you, there's yep. a lot of times people will say, I just got this vibe from someone. Mm-hmm. Yes. And what, what does that mean, that vibe? That vibe means intuitively you felt something. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not so good. Whatever it is, there's a communication that happens at an energetic level. And between parents and children, that's even more amplified than it is between adults. So back to the question of leadership, 
when yeah. you've embodied that intuitive leader within yourself, your children mm -hmm. can sense it. They feel it. They get the vibe. So, you know, a lot of times as parents, we think that we can kind of outsmart them. Right. I had, I know my own, my own parents did this. Like my dad would say um, something like, you know, don't have too much ice cream, like, cause too much sugar is not good for you. But then right. he'd sneak behind my back and finish a whole pack of ice cream, right? A lot of parents do that, right? Cause we don't want yes. to sit in front of the kids that were doing the exact same things we're telling them not to do. And I get that. I mean, it's totally natural, right? I'm not, not, right not throwing shade at my dad. I think he's, he did, he did what, you know, so many parents can relate to. Yeah. But at the same time, that inconsistency, that inauthenticity, even if I didn't know consciously that he was eating the ice cream behind my back, I felt it. Yes. And like you said, you felt it when your mother was on the phone and said like, you'll be okay. And this is, you know this is everything and i love how you said it around with children because they're they're more energetic beings than we are because as we go through life we get more and more you know blocks and eight layers of the onion and all that but like children really feel it and it is like they really really feel and I, you know as i'm learning more and more about all these universal truths and the timeless wisdom it's like a lot of these things that i've heard you're like oh you know like um what is in the business world? They'll say like, oh, it's 80% of communication is nonverbal. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's like 99%. <laughs> like <laughs> the words are the words, but people are like feeling, they're feeling it. And they're kind of like, how, and, and you just, they know if you're lying, they just know. And you said inauthenticity, which I thought was so amazing. And kids can really sense the inauthenticity. But similarly, if you're in a corporation or a law firm or wherever, and you're being authentic, people can sense that too. Adults can. And they can really see right through it. And so I feel like we can learn so much. I know this is what you believe too. We can learn so much from our kids because they actually mirror back to us when we're being inauthentic. Like my, you know, I, have, I think our kids are about the same age. I have a seven and a 10 year old. How old are your kids? Uh, I have an eight year old and I have two nine year olds. That's right. That's right. So we're pretty close. And my daughter's almost eight and she will regularly say to me, like, she'll just kind of look at me like, mm, no, like <laughs> that's not. That's not even that you're not being authentic right now. Like uh, this is, this is too easy for me to see through, like, come on up your game. Like, you know, a hundred percent. My kids just yesterday called me out because I said, um, I said something about, oh, when we were during COVID, our screen time limits went out the window. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not, not only because school was all of a sudden on a screen, yeah. but even beyond that, because there was literally nothing else you could do, meaning. Yeah you couldn't go outside your house. There was nowhere yeah. to go. There was, it was like the world was in such chaos that my husband and I decided this is probably not the time to be picky about screen time. Let's just right. slide. Yeah. Little did we know that it was going to be so long, right? In yes. our naive minds, we were thinking, ah, two, three weeks is not a yeah, right. <laughs> Duh, but whatever. Here we are today and you know, you and I both live in Northern California and where we are, thankfully, things are settling down a little bit. Mm -hmm. So my husband and I were talking, we said, OK, maybe now it's time to start rolling it back. Let's reinstate, you know, 
a, a little bit more limits on screen time because we can go out now and there are places, there are things to do, there are places to go. So we kind of delivered that message to the kids the other day and I was bracing myself for the worst, but honestly, they were all like, okay. <laughs> I was still waiting for the other shoe to fall off. But then so my daughter yesterday says to me, she's bored, right? Because now she's got a screen time limit, so she's not on it all the time. So she right. walked into my office and she says, she's complaining that she's got nothing to do and she doesn't know what to do and she's bored. And, and she says to me, you're going way beyond the three-hour screen limit. <laughs> and of course, immediately in my mind, I'm making all the excuses of, well, right. I have to work and, you know, like all the, and I'm observing myself making all these BS excuses. Yep. And I said, you know what? You're right. I shut down the laptop and I said, all right, let's, let's do something. And I was thinking to myself, thank goodness that I have her to keep me honest. She totally calls me on my own yeah. crap all the time, as you said, because that's what kids do. You're right. They yeah. see through your fakeness and your inauthenticity when you're out of alignment, when you're incongruent, they mm -hmm. see through it. And I think when we have raised our children to call us out, to not be mm -hmm. afraid to call out, right. I sensed it too with my parents, but I didn't call them out. No. But the fact that my kids call me out, I see it as a sign of, okay, I'm doing something right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Right that they have, um, that they trust that they can say something like that without having to pay a price for it. Yeah. And it makes me a better person. It makes me more in alignment with my own word. Exactly. And, you know, I have to tell my story about our screen time experiences because <laughs> you open the window, but I'll keep it short. So, well, first of all, my friend, my good friend runs Beyond Limits Academy. So you can check that out for anyone who's listening. And it's all about screen time. And she actually and her partner, who's a child psychologist, had developed the program before COVID. And I was like, okay, we're really going to roll this out quickly. But um, we decided, you ready for this? Julie and I decided that we were going to do like a screen free, like no screens. Yeah. for a week so we decided this on a sunday and then our friend was like oh that's perfect because tomorrow's national um screen free week i was like what so apparently there's this week where it's like the I think it was the first week of june or may i can't remember now maybe the first week of may and um basically you you take all screens away that are not that are entertainment related so that was our out and chill and i were like we're working we have to use our laptops. The screen week thing says you can, you, it's not entertainment and you guys want to do YouTube and video games. So, and movies, so we're fine, but we did it for a week. And in that week, we literally saw our kids come back to life. Like all of a sudden they were playing with the Legos again and they were doing all these things. And we're like, what is happening here? We saw that. And then we also saw them literally behave like heroin addicts. Like yes. they were rolling on the ground. They were screaming and we used all the conscious parenting, all that we knew about conscious parents. Like yep. just let them have their emotions, let them do their things, like hold the space, acknowledge, but we're not giving them back screens because right. if they were a heroin addict right now, I wouldn't be like, oh, you're, you need some more heroin. Okay. Here's some heroin. <laughs> so we just held the space and it was really, really hard and really painful for all of us. And then we were a little crazy because then we're like, you guys, this has been the best week for a long time. So we're doing another week. 
<laughs> and you said that kids didn't respond too strongly <clears throat> when you told them at the first week, they were kind of upset, but they knew intuitively that they were, they were hooked and they needed a break. And then it went pretty well. And then in their mind, they're like, okay, we did a good job. You know, we weren't tying it to like, you have to earn it and all that stuff. We were just kind of like, if we're ready to go back, we will. And there's no timeline, but they, in their mind were like, it's a week. Right. <laughs> so when we told them the next Sunday night, Oh, that was like two, they literally cried for like two hours straight. Oh. And we were like, are we making the wrong decision? And then after a week of doing it again, we're like, mm, let's just give them back like a few days at a time. But we actually, then we just sprinkled it back in. They're like, what does sprinkle back in mean? I'm like, I don't know. We're living intuitively at the moment. It could be another day. It could be one hour a day. It could be every day. I don't know. And so for about six weeks, we went two weeks of nothing. Then we did one, one hour a week. Then we did like three hours a week. And now we're up to like every day for two hours. But getting them off of it really actually reminded them that they have, there's other ways to entertain themselves. Right. And I've, I've done that once actually the screen detox, uh, yeah. we did it one time we took a couple years ago, we took the kids to Mexico and we just didn't go on the Wi-Fi in yeah. the Airbnb where we stayed. So there was nothing. I mean, they right. have some games that don't require Wi-Fi, but they're not the fun games. Right, right, right. So they they were like, okay, well, what's the point of having an iPad if we can't play all the Roblox, Minecraft, right. all that crap? So right. we had a month with no screens. And wow. just like you said, we saw them come back to life, right? And it was it was not just the fact they interact with and they play amongst themselves all the time, even yeah, now. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't that there was a different quality yes. to their presence. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And so it's a balance, right? I mean, in yeah. the world that we live in, we I think it would be really difficult to not have screens at all ever. Having yeah. said that, taking a break every once in a while is a great idea. I have a friend who does uh, once a week. She's she's Jewish. I mean, she's an adult, but she's, she was raised Jewish. She mm -hmm. does tech free Shabbat. No, uh, how does she call it? No tech Shabbat. I forget how she calls it. Okay. But basically the idea is Friday, 5 PM until Saturday, 5 PM, 24 hours, go. every single week, no tech. You can't call yeah. her. You can't call yeah. her on the cell phone. You can't text her. Nothing. The family is together doing what families do and um, you know, that, that works for their family, but I, I just love the example of it, of, mm -hmm. you know, we can balance. We, we just yes. need to remember every once in a while, what it really means to connect with one another. Right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's really what we learned. And I love, I, I feel like you were sharing that, you know, the kids are actually holding you accountable and saying things and, and you weren't able to share that with your say that with your parents, a lot of us that grew up in, you know, the eighties and seventies and all that, like that was not the paradigm. So now that we're, I mean, we're really in this great shift, this great, this great awakening, this great paradigm shift and things are changing the paradigms. This is one of the reasons I started the podcast, you know, a conscious way forward. And it's really to talk about what are the paradigm shifts that are actually just happening. And now we're going to kind of let them unfold as our, you know, each one of us has a role as a human being to like help these shifts happen, but they're going to happen either way. <laughs> but, um, 
But I would just love to hear, you know, from the parenting perspective, because you're kind of alluding to some of the paradigm shifts of like kids actually saying what's true and not being scared of it. You know, a lot of the things that we grew up with. So what are some of the paradigm shifts that you see for kind of like parent, I was going to say future parenting, but it's already here. So parenting from here on out. Right. I think the shift starts first within us parents. I feel like the current generation of parents and the generation that are entering parenthood, so people who are either just became parents or are on the brink of becoming parents, I feel like this is a generation that is more, not just aware, but also more inclined and interested in observing truths, in seeking Uh truth. And knowing who they really are in an authentic, uh, integrated way. Once you have that desire within yourself, that you have to have that desire. And previous generations didn't have the luxury of even asking themselves the question because they were in survival mode for various reasons yes. after world wars and depressions. Yes. And there were all kinds of circumstances that precluded them from even asking the question but Uh our generation and the generations that are coming after us are fortunate in the sense that we have that luxury and i know a lot of times people like to kind of diss millennials for being so spoiled but it's actually i see them not not so much as being spoiled i see them actually as wanting more for themselves And I think that's a key aspect to the paradigm shift because when you want more for yourself, Uh more than just executing on a checklist, more than just meeting expectations and, you know, achieving, when when you have that desire within yourself for more and you Uh see it, then you find it, then you're receptive to it. And that, that, quality of being receptive to truth i think that is the key shift that people have and need to have in order for the next generation current and next generations to become more awakened to become more whole i think it's a ripple i i I know the change in society that's going to be possible, whether it happens or not, I don't know. I don't have, you know, a crystal ball and I can't predict. Mm-hmm. But the potential of our society, think about what would our society look like if we raised children in this way, in a way where they are not afraid to speak their truth, where they know mm-hmm. what their truth is. Yeah. I mean, I didn't even know my truth, let alone, yeah. I, I didn't even get exactly. to the question of, do I have the courage to speak it or not? Because I didn't even know what it was. But when exactly. you are connected within yourself, as we're trying to raise this next generation to be, what kind of adults do they grow up to be? What kind of change do they make in the world mm-hmm. when they already arrive at this place of wholeness and truth seeking and acceptance of wisdom and intuition and spirituality i think it's so exciting no this 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 is what really fires me up and i totally agree and it really when you said like kids that know truth and that i mean we like all children 
we all start out knowing truth and understanding, you know, the truth, right? And then it all just gets <laughs> dimmed and layered and blocked. But like, actually, what I'm excited about, this is what I love about school, you know, reimagining the school system is that we start to create environments. So whether it's the family structures or the school or the offices or the, there won't even be offices, the, you know, <laughs> wherever they're working in the tree <clears throat> and, <laughs> and whatever the environment is that we're creating environments that actually allow for the people in them to be able to find their truth and speak their truth. And what you're highlighting is that kids and this generation, especially are already really, and then I agree with the millennials too, is that they're already really pushing against a lot of the paradigms, the status quo, questioning the belief systems, things that we, you know, we think are crazy. They're out there like, what? You know, cause a lot of the teachers that work at the school are kind of in that millennial age group. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> like, oh, this is good. I should spend more time with you because you're already, you don't have to question the belief system. You've already decided that it's a bunch of baloney. So, um, but yeah, I get really excited about thinking about that future potential of what, what it can look like for, and that's why I love the work that you and others are doing with conscious parenting because it is, it is a ripple effect, like Dr. Shafali taught us. It's a ripple effect. And by you doing the work on yourself and in your home and then with other parents and with me doing the work in my home and with, you know, and then with others and with schools, like it's rippling out so that hopefully this kind of new vision actually takes shape. And it's that quality of critical thinking, of asking, wait a minute, is this true? And is this true for me? And what if it's not true? What if there could be another possibility? What would it look like if there were another way? What, what might I do? Who might I be if I were to imagine a different present for myself? Yes. Just having the ability to ask questions in a different way, that automatically leads to other solutions. Because yes. the way you and I have been taught is a very, we've been taught to ask questions in a very linear way. Yes. And we experience time in a very linear way, right? Yeah. There's one moment and then another moment. We never go back. We only go mm -hmm. in one direction. So our brains are primed to think in very linear ways. And in yeah. school, that's how we're taught. There's a math yeah, absolutely. Model. You have to show step by step in a linear fashion how you arrived at your answer. Mm -hmm. So it conditions us to think in this way. But I think when we open ourselves up to a different way of thinking, to asking questions that don't are not from the from an out not outcome based questions, meaning what is the answer, right. but rather questions that are more focused on the possibility by definition yes. we're opening ourselves up to a completely different set of answers that we would not have received had we continued down this very linear path so that's why exactly. i love the work you do in education because that's where it starts that's where our conditioning started in yeah. school and that's where the next generation starts as well is can we open people's minds to asking questions from a completely different place so that we can yes arrive at answers and solutions that are completely different from where we've been all this time. And no, that's I, it. That's it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I also think, you know, with, if, if we're looking at the present moment as we have not yet transitioned into different 
systems of education worldwide. Mm -hmm. Part of that process of awakening and becoming more, more critical thinkers is understanding how to play in these current systems, these current very mm -hmm. linear, very outcome-based, yeah. very external focused systems that exist everywhere in our world, yeah. no matter where you are in the world, what culture you were uh, brought up in, what family you're brought up in, we all have to learn how to navigate these systems. So I think until we reach that point where we've completely turned the system upside down, part of our job is to become aware that it's a system mm -hmm. and to learn yeah. how to navigate it and yeah. play. Absolutely. And actually, I think whatever system, new systems are created, there's going to be the same navigation. Just going to be a different system to navigate, right? Maybe a little less ego, but it'll still be a little less factory model, maybe a little less boxed in, but it's still going to be a system. So I think that's really great advice. And I love what you said about critical thinking. And at first I was like, I have a little bit of an allergic reaction to that, but then you explained it because this is what we teach our kid because it's like in the school system, I've worked in like some of the best schools in the country and we were all about critical thinking and it was about the question and inquiry, right? But there's always that fine line between taking them into this very intellectual pursuit where they're out of the body, they're out of their intuitive knowing, and it's all about like getting the right answer, right? And so, but when you said critical thinking, like, and I was like, oh, she's saying critical thinking, meaning like live in the question, be curious, ask for like an answer from a totally different space than, you know, because that's really <clears throat> somebody, um, I was watching an interview with somebody and they asked like, how innovative have we really been? They were like interviewing an innovative business guy and they're like, how innovative have we really been? Because really like there's one box and then we find like a little, a little opening to that box and oh my gosh, like that's so innovative. But really like we're working within the constructs of the mind, the limitations of the egoic mind. And so you're really you're not seeing like these amazing um, innovations and and, uh, and when you're doing the kind of critical thinking, but the way you're talking about it is opening up to the infinite possibilities by living in the question, by trying to like open yourself up to the truth. And that's like, that is very exciting. To me too. And also, you know, I talk about this a lot of times with my clients and I know the, I, the metaphor of the iceberg has been used ad nauseum, but it, it is relevant yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because when we are focused at that tip of the iceberg, which is visible, mm -hmm. no matter how good we are at solving problems, by definition, we will not be making that much headway because we're only yeah. focused on the tip of the iceberg while we're ignoring the vast majority of yes. that iceberg, which is under the water. So yeah. the question becomes, can we learn how to look under the water can we get into our scuba gear and go underwater <laughs> yes and look at that because when we do that by definition our results are going to change mm -hmm. yeah yeah no i could talk to you forever i want to wrap here <laughs> i really loved the conversation and want to give you an opportunity just to share where people can find you or any other things maybe you're like oh i wanted to share this and i forgot so just leave that open and then um, just where people can find you. We'll put it in the show notes and all that, but I always like to have people, or if there's any programs or anything you want people to hear about, just give us your moment to share. Thank you. <laughs> so if people want to follow me on social media, I'm, I'm very active on Instagram at Rachel Duffy here. And I'm also active on LinkedIn. Uh, you could just search my name on LinkedIn, Rachel Duffy. 
My uh, website is sagacitylab.com. And I'm running uh, a series of free masterclasses specifically about the topic of how do we parent without punishment? Mm, okay. I feel like that is one of the biggest obstacles we have as parents where we want to parent without punishment. It feels yeah. wrong to punish our children, to discipline them, to use consequences, to take away privileges. It's not a good feeling for us, yeah. yet it's been the one and only tool we've ever been taught. So we don't know what else we could do. We, it's hard for us to imagine a different future. Yep. So I run this series of uh, no cost trainings about this topic. And uh, I would love to have your listeners join me. You can sign up at uh, sagacitylab.com forward slash MC waitlist. And we'll give okay. the link in the show notes as well. But I would love to see people there. Awesome. Thank you so much. Is there anything else you wanted to kind of close out with? Any final, <clears throat> any final words of wisdom? No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, you know, I think the main point for each and every one of us, no matter where we are on our journeys, yeah. is to commit to the journey. That's really the yes. key part of this is to make a commitment to yourself to do whatever it takes, whatever it takes for you to transcend your circumstances, to transcend your limiting beliefs and your patterns and conditionings. There is no secret sauce, so to speak, that one person has and another person doesn't. We all yeah. have the ability within us to do this. The question is, are we willing to do what it takes? And I would like to encourage each and every one of us, wherever we're at, to do what it takes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a perfect place to end. Yes, yes, yes. I love it. Thank you so much, Rachel. It was great talking with you. Thank you. It was my honor. What a great conversation with Rachel. You know, her insights about committing to the journey are a powerful reminder for each of us to stay awake for the entire ride. And it really reminds me of the work we do in the Inner Sangha program that I run with Stacey Mayhouse-Lewinsky. And if anyone's interested in learning more about this program, the Inner Sangha, which is an intimate 12-week intensive that brings seekers like you together in a very intimate and close-knit community that we build. It's about getting real, raw, and vulnerable. And we're launching a new cohort this fall. If you want to find more information, go to davidkrichards.com and the program link under Inner Sangha. And then you can click on book a call with me so that I can learn about what you're interested in, where you are in your journey, and I can share with you more about the Inner Sangha journey. All right, let's go put on our scuba gear so we can dive beneath the surface and let this journey continue. Thanks, everyone. Mm -hmm.